Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this message, you are challenged and encouraged by the Word of God and grow in your love for God and love for others. It is God's desire for us to be members of and regularly participate in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you are not attending a local church right now, we encourage you to take that step. If you do live in the North York area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to visit us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings to discern if this is the church God is leading you to. Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it up to Luke chapter 19. That's where we're going to be, verses 28 to 40. But before we get started, I just want to give a quick thanks to our older kids. We're glad that you're in here joining with us this morning. And we pray that the songs were an encouragement to you, but also that the word you're about to hear would also minister to you as well. And so, loved ones, if you could even, as we're looking into the word, be praying for those kids that the word would take deep root in their heart and bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Um, it's, we want our children to grow up in, in that fear of the Lord and love for him. So you can do that even, even as you remember that during the service, do that. Uh, we all know the saying, actions speak louder than words. Uh, but because y'all are fancy, uh, Natalie has this framed in our house, what you do speaks so loudly that I cannot hear the words you say. Pretty much the same thing, but it's a little bit more fancy. Say, see, I can say that I'm a chef, but you'd have questions if you never see any food. I can say that I'm an athlete, but you'd have real questions if I'm out of breath all the time. I could say that I'm married, but you'd have questions if you never saw my spouse. So you can say that you are a servant of Christ, but your words aren't enough. How you live, your actions will reveal the truth. Luke, in the passage that we're going to look at today, tells us how we can know if we are true servants of Jesus Christ. See, the context of our passage this week was the passage last week, and if you remember, it was the parable of the ten minas. In it, Jesus tells us that he is the king and that we are his servants. And in the parable, he contrasts what true servants and false servants are like. And this week, what Luke wants to show us is how those true servants are revealed. That's why the title of today's message is True Servants of the Coming King. True Servants of the Coming King. So look with me at Luke chapter 19, starting at verse 28. And when he had said these things, meaning the, the passage right before, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it back to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat Jesus on it. 
And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already, the, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Verse 39, and some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered them, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And so, Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray that by your spirit that you would teach us what you have for us that by your spirit you would use that word and plant it deep in our hearts that you would bear fruit in our lives. Help us to see Jesus more clearly in this. Teach us, convict us. Do it all for your glory, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. So in this passage, Luke wants to show us two marks or two signs that you are a true servant of the king. Two marks or two signs that you are a true servant of the coming king. The first is this, that you obey him no matter what he asks you. You obey him no matter what he asks you. Look at verse 28 again. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. See, Jesus started this journey to Jerusalem all the way in Luke chapter nine, and now he's finally arrived. See, this passage is the beginning of the seven most important days of all of history, Passion Week, where Jesus, at the end of this week, will give his life as a ransom for many. Now, a prof in university said this to me, the gospels are just passion narratives with extended intros. See, the setup of the Gospel of Luke has been 19 chapters, and we're finally arriving at the main part. It took us since 2019, but we're here now, so buckle in. Look at verse 29. And when he drew near to Bethphage in Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. As Jesus gets near to Jerusalem, he turns to two of his disciples and instructs them to go and get a colt. The other gospels inform us that this is in fact a young donkey. And as he gives the two disciples these instructions, what Luke is highlighting for us is the perfect knowledge of Jesus. Did you notice? Jesus knows exactly where the donkey will be. He knows that it will be tied up. He knows that no one else has ridden it before. He knows, in fact, the very question that the owners will ask and which answer to give them. Jesus has perfect knowledge. Now, this reality should, in fact, comfort us in life. Why? Because the all-knowing king is the one who watches over you. The all-knowing king is the one who loves you. The all-knowing king is the one who guides you. See, when Jesus gives his commands, he does so with perfect knowledge of the circumstances that he is in fact calling us into. That means he is able 
and willing to help guide us through it. Now look at the disciples. They ask no questions, no clarifications, no pushbacks. They go, immediate obedience. Verse 32, and so those who were sent away found it just as he had told him, just as the Lord has said. See, this is why we sing songs like, um, tis so sweet, to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise and to know, thus saith the Lord, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I proved him o'er and o'er, Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. We need that grace. Grace to trust him in the, in the storms of life. Grace to trust him in moments of disappointment, in times of waiting. See, the disciples, they got a command from Jesus then, and we, as his disciples now, receive commands from Jesus now. And as the disciples show us, they give us the example of what true servants of the coming king do, immediate obedience. Even when we don't fully understand or comprehend, even when we won't see the fruits of his promises in this life, because Jesus is the one in charge, not us, we move at his word. And when we move at his word, we show that we believe it. Now we need to remember, obedience is hard. And all of us can say amen to that. Obedience is hard, but obedience always leads to our good. Because when we obey, we grow in maturity. We model wise living. We embrace humility. We show that we trust the words of the Savior who claims that he loves us and has proved it. We show and we provide a compelling witness to unbelievers. Our obedience is hard, but it always leads to our good. But also, don't miss this. When the disciples arrive there, there's no indication that they're surprised to find it just as they had been told. If we are honest, we don't always have the same kind of response as the disciples. We don't have the same kind of attitude when it comes to the commands of Christ. In fact, sometimes we're skeptical, we're anxious, we're second guessing, will Jesus actually come through? Now the reason why the disciples had this level of confidence was because they were with Jesus. They spent the last three years with him. Faith like this, confidence like this, only flows from a life in close proximity to Jesus. So don't be surprised if you lack confidence because you aren't in communion with Jesus. Faith like this only flows and can only happen as we spend time with him, fellowship with him through his word and in prayer, fellowship with his people as we're encouraged to be in communion with him. And Lord willing, we will have the same confidence as his disciples. Look at verse 33. The passage goes on and says, as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. See, the disciples, did you notice what they do? They just simply repeat word for word the very response Jesus told them to give. They don't offer any extra commentary or explanation or try to justify the words of Jesus, make it palatable to them. The words of Jesus were enough. 
And the owners listen, and they let the donkey go. Friends, notice the disciples simply went with the words that Christ gave them, not with arguments, not with apologetics, not with historical evidence, and trying to compel them why the words of Christ are true. Now, there's a place for those things, but we need to remember that the substance of our teaching, where the power of God resides, is in his word. And so we commit, just as Paul tells us, to plainly present the word of Christ and let it speak for itself. Now, it's hidden for the hidden for us in the English here, but in the Greek, the word translated for us as owners is the same word that the disciples used to title Jesus as Lord. So the verse could read as this in verse 34 or 33. As they were untying the colt, its lords said to them, why are you untying it? And in contrast, and they said, the Lord has need of it. See, the lords of the donkey surrender to the Lord of all. Luke is highlighting for us the the royalty and the sovereignty of Jesus. Jesus is the king. See, the lords of the donkey have rightful claim over their animal, but the Lord of all has rightful claim over them. In that culture, see, kings could claim the possessions of their subjects at their whim. However, unlike earthly kings who unjustly claimed the possessions of their subjects, the Lord of all creation has rightful claim over everything. See, if the cattle on a thousand hills belong to him, then a single donkey tied to a post also does. Because unlike earthly kings, limited by their authority, delineated by borders and walls, Jesus, the divine king, has all authority because he is the creator of everything. There's no limits to his jurisdiction. Jesus owns it all because he made it all. And here's where it comes home, because that includes you and me. Includes what we have, our finances, our bodies, our time, our talents, our plans for the future. Abraham Kuyper says this, there's not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not claim mine. Jesus has rightful claim over everything. Now, my parents, when we were growing up as kids, one of the rules that we had in our house that we, were, we weren't allowed to touch the thermostat. See, one of the things that boggled my mind when I went to friends' houses was their freedom in which they opened their own fridge and their their touching of the thermostat. Because the reason was my parents were the ones who paid the bill. They owned the house. Therefore, they get to decide what temperature the house is set at, when the AC comes on and when the heat comes on. We had no say in that. Why? Because it belonged to them. Everything we have rightfully belongs to God. He, in fact, gave everything that we have to us. Therefore, he gets to tell us what to do with it. We are just humble stewards of all our possessions. See, what that means is that Jesus gets to tell us how to use our money. He tells us how to spend our time. He tells us what our priorities should be. 
He tells us how to raise our kids. He tells us how to run the church. He tells us how we should work at our jobs. And all of us, our response is a readiness to give to God what is his to begin with. That should we hear the Lord has need of it, we give it to him. And here's the thing. We can do so not begrudgingly, but with joy, freely and willingly. Why? Because he is working for our good and for his glory. Because Jesus, when he exercises his rightful and royal claim on this donkey, it's not random. He's doing it to fulfill this prophecy. Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on the colt, the foal of a donkey. When Jesus exercised his royal and rightful claim of this donkey, he was doing so to publicly announce that he is the coming Messiah, the promised king, the one who would deliver his people, provide salvation from the greatest of our enemies, sin, death, and the devil. See, King Jesus, like, unlike the earthly kings, he is benevolent, humble, and kind. All that he does, he is doing and is working to deliver us. All of his commands, all of his instructions flow from this unchanging character and nature of our God. That means all of his commands, even when we don't understand it, flow as an expression of his goodness and love to us. There's not one command that is not an expression of his love for us. So even when we don't fully understand it, or we don't comprehend his commands. What we can know as a sure reality is that it is his goodness to us. That's why. That's why we can obey him no matter what he asks of us. But notice something else. I don't want you to miss this. Normally, in that culture, when kings arrived in their towns, they arrived on a war horse. What does Jesus arrive on? A humble donkey. See, Jesus is the king. There's no question about that, but he is a king who identifies with the lowly, and he calls the poor in spirit, the tired and the weary to himself, because he himself arrives as the humble king. See, he comes to deliver his people, not through military might and trying to overthrow the government, but through his humility and his humiliation, through his work on the cross, he establishes peace with God. He is the king of peace. Now, here's what that means for you and I. Because Jesus comes and establishes peace by his work, we might have peace with God through faith in Jesus, but that doesn't mean everything will be peaceful now. In our lives or in the world, that doesn't mean everything will run smoothly. Because as evidence, just by our eyes, as we look around, we live in a war world where war is a reality, where there's school shootings, drone strikes, human trafficking, corruption. But we know how the story ends, as we often sing. Jesus came on a donkey this time, but when he comes back in Revelation, he comes back on a horse to vanquish his enemies and establish peace to the ends of the earth. 
And so now as we wait, we give thanks for the peace that he has already afforded to us through his work on the cross. But we continue to pray and ask him to come back soon so that he might establish his rule and his reign and his peace to the ends of the earth forever. Now Jesus, in this passage already, has shown himself to be the king. But a king who is sovereign, kind, benevolent, glorious, and humble. And servants of this king not only obey him no matter what he asks, we also praise him no matter who rejects him. We also praise him no matter who rejects him. Look with me at verse 35. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. See, the disciples, they start to recognize what is happening. They, they know Zechariah 9, verse 9, and having spent time with Jesus, they know who he is. And so finally, they're celebrating because Jesus is proclaiming publicly what they have known to be true. And so they honor him as king. Now, friends, this is a quick application, but I want to tell you this is why it's worth reading and knowing the Old Testament. The disciples were able to respond this way because they were familiar with the Old Testament. Familiarity with the Old Testament will help us in our understanding of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Don't rush through it in your Bible readings. Spend time in it because it's all about Jesus. Now, the disciples, they don't have much. And so in their response, they take the cloaks off their back and then they make a saddle for Jesus and a red carpet for him to walk on. The disciples here teach us that we don't need much to worship God. What God requires is a right heart. God is not looking for big displays. What he is looking for is true worshipers. Now, you might not be able to play an instrument or sing from the front, but you have a voice, so lift it up. You might not be able to teach in front of a crowd, but you can encourage others with what God is showing you in his word. You might not be able to give much financially, but the little you give pleases the Lord, as we saw in the widow's might. God is not looking for big displays. He's looking for true worshipers. The passage goes on. Look at verse 37. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. See, Jesus is making his way down towards Jerusalem on the donkey, and a whole crowd starts praising him. But it's easy to miss this, and I don't want you to. Look at how it started in verse 35. This worship session started with the two disciples who in their obedience brought the donkey to Christ. The closest disciples began worshiping, and then others joined in. The closest disciples, starting with the two, placed him on the donkey, took the cloaks off their back, and others joined in. See, the principle that I want us to get is that true worship from true servants is powerful. It's infectious. It spreads to, as it says in verse 37, a whole multitude. 
It's a witness to those around you. Something I want to thank you all for is that you all sing loudly. Some of the best moments in worship is when the team pulls back and our voices rise up. One of my favorite memories is, I believe it was a number of weeks ago, our sound system cut out and you guys carried it with your voices. Thank you for doing that. I praise God for that because your singing ministers to others. Jermaine often says this, sing it for your neighbor. Sometimes we wonder, how can I minister to someone today? Sing. Sing for them. Don't underestimate the power of your witness and example when you sing, shout, and praise God with your voice. See, it's biblical. We sing to one another and we sing for one another. Your persistent worship could lead to others joining in. So don't hold back. We're going to have another opportunity at the end of this service. Don't hold back. But also, don't miss the reason for their praise. Look at verse 37 again with me. And she was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. Why? For all the mighty works that they had seen. Jesus wasn't all talk. He backed it up with his mighty works. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He opened blind eyes. He calmed storms and raging seas. He cast out demons. He raised the dead. He forgave sins. Jesus backed up his words with actions. And like Jesus, his servants and his church need to be known for more than just our words and testimony. Jesus was with the sick. He was with the hurting and the poor. Our theology must be paired to our ministry and mercy to one another and in our community. Notice, though, it wasn't Jesus who brought up his works. Others did. Another important principle for us here. True servants in humility do the work no matter who sees Jesus is teaching us that praise and recognition is not something that we should assert for ourselves. It's always better to choose humility. It is always better to be recognized by others, whether it be at work or at school, in the community, leadership in the church. Work hard and let others around you recognize you. Let your actions speak for you. Now the crowds... They see Zechariah 9 being fulfilled before their very eyes. Jesus is the coming king. And so what they do is they quote Psalm 118, verse 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. See, the psalm is about the Messiah who is the king who leads his people victoriously into the temple. Then what the disciples in the crowd do is they take what is implicit in the psalm and make it explicit in their song. See, the psalm says, blessed is he who comes. But they proclaim, blessed is the king who comes. Jesus Christ is the king. And this coming king is worthy of all our praise, even in the midst of those who reject him. Look at verse 39. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. In their pride, 
They are completely blind to what is so obvious to all, everyone around them. The Messiah is here fulfilling the very promises of the prophet, the one who will come riding into Jerusalem on a colt to deliver his people. Everyone else sees it, but in their pride, they are blinded. And instead of responding with humility and praise to Jesus, they respond with offense. See, these are the wicked citizens from verse 14 who say, we don't want that man as king over us. But look at the response of Jesus, verse 40. He answered, I tell you, if these, meaning the disciples, were silent, the very stones would cry out. Jesus says, no, no, they're not staying silent. The crowds are right in praising God. In fact, Jesus is saying, it's not enough. All of creation was made to worship him. Jesus is telling us, in fact, the rocks are holding back. They're holding back. They're bursting at the seams to proclaim God's praise. Brothers and sisters, here's, what, uh, here's how this encourages us. The day may come, and in many ways, it's already here as persecution and hostility and rejection towards Jesus rise up that you might feel alone in praising God. Maybe you feel like that already in your own home. You're the only one who loves Jesus. Maybe in your workplace, at your school, you might feel alone, but that's not true. See, you're never alone when you choose to praise God. David tells us the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. See, it's not just the stones that are holding back. All geology, astronomy, zoology participate in theology. All of it is crying out, God made me, and he is worthy of praise. He is glorious. Anytime we participate in worship, as one hymn says, you are joining with all nature in manifold witness to his great faithfulness, mercy, and love. You are never alone when you praise him. You're joining with the song that is going on since eternity and will go on for all of eternity with the saints who have gone before, with all the churches who are singing even this morning and in the times to come. The saints are participating in the song that endures forever. You are never alone when you choose to praise God. Jesus tells the Pharisees, this, this right here, Devotion to Christ, serving him, loving him, praising him is what all of creation was made for. Praise, in fact, is the reasonable response. It's the reasonable response to a king like Jesus. Worship is wisdom. To hold back is foolishness. To worship is wisdom and to hold back is foolishness. See, the rocks were holding back their praise then. In fact, they're holding back their praise right now. See, Paul tells us creation groans, waiting with eager expectation. But it won't always be like that. They won't stay quiet much longer. 
because of the work that Jesus accomplished when he went into Jerusalem at the end of this journey by laying down his life and dying on the cross and saving his people, Jesus will receive eternal and perfect and complete praise from all of his creation. See, creation will sing. The rocks are going to participate. But it won't be a solo, because look at what Philippians chapter 2 says. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. People can deny it now, and the rocks might be holding back for the moment, but it, will always, but it won't always be like that. Jesus will receive all praise. He is rightfully do that. So let's not hold back from him what is rightfully his. Let's stand, let's pray, and participate in the song that endures forever. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for how your word instructs us, what it says about Jesus. We pray that this morning would have been a time where we've seen you more clearly. You have rightful claim over us, but you are a king who is humble, but also glorious and worthy of all our praise. And so in this moment as we sing, would you receive what is rightfully yours, the praise of your people, we look forward to that day, that day that will one day be here when you come receive us to yourself, that all will bow before you, that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Pray this in Christ's name, amen. Let's sing. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit hopetorontonorth.com.